Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hello, fellow Creative Control listeners. My name is Mac Cameron. I live in Toronto, and I have been listening to Creative Control with Vish Khanna since episode 119. That featured all five members of one of my favorite bands, Constantine's. I listen backwards from there and then forwards, and I know it sounds, you know, over the top or cliche, but finding the show changed the course of my life. It inspired me to pursue a career in radio and to do what I can to support the arts in my community and across the country. So I give to Creative Control because I feel like I owe the show and Vish uh, for helping me figure out what the hell to do with my life. Beyond that, I give to Creative Control because I think independent media, especially insightful, entertaining, thoughtful, and thorough independent media is something that is worth paying for. What I appreciate about Creative Control is Vish's ability to treat Canadian artists, or any artist for that matter, with the seriousness and appreciation he would any other artist. His excellent rapport with people like Steve Albini and the members of Fugazi and Stephen Malcolmus and others have earned him international appreciation. However, it's his trove of interviews with what I consider to be the most exciting generation of Canadian musicians, conducted out of genuine passion and interest, that makes this show so special. I think it is an archive of some really exciting music that is way, way underreported on and appreciated. That's why I contribute to Creative Control with Vishkana, and I hope you will do the same. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that.
Chris Rowley is a songwriter and singer based in London, England. Once a member of the short-lived but explosive and influential Huggy Bear, Rowley retreated from public performance and music making when Huggy Bear broke up in 1997. Special circumstances and the current state of the world have brought him back to us. He has teamed up with friends, including members of the band Male Bonding, to form an excellent new band called Adult Life, whose debut album, Book of Curses, is available worldwide on November 6th, 2020, via the label What's Your Rupture? Chris and I connected recently for a good chat about life in the UK these days and how he first discovered punk, the inspiring work of bands like The Nation of Ulysses and writers like Kathy Acker, why Huggy Bear ended and adult life began, the rise of fascism and xenophobia, but also political engagement and positive mental attitudes, future plans for adult life, and more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control and Massey Hall's concert film series live at masseyhall.com where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free including performances by past podcast guests and people who haven't been on this show before like, I don't know, Peaches plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 578th episode of Creative Control, featuring the outspoken and poetic Chris Rowley of Adult Life, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi Chris, how's it going? Hi Vish, uh, yeah, good. Good to, good to talk. Yes, it's good to talk to you as well. First of all, where in the world are you? Uh, so, uh, me and John are um, in London, in Walthamstow, um, East London. Okay, how are things going in, in East London for you and John today? I don't know about John, not so good for me. I'm, I managed to get re- made redundant today in all this uh, COVID scare stuff that's happening at the moment. So my job uh, kind of disappeared and has reappeared as something else. So... Um, not not the most ideal start to a day, but uh, it's what it is. Oh, I'm very very sorry to hear that. Uh, that's very very sad. I'm, I and and yet you made time to speak with me. That's that says something about you and your character. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> you were working for a children's charity. Is that correct? Yeah, the the Lloyd Park Children's Charity. I've been there for like twenty twenty something years. And and but you're not gone gone you've been reassigned is that what you're saying that's that's kind of the way that it's looking to be at the minute um most of my work was uh, to do with families and services that were sourced outside of the nursery and obviously we can't have any of those come in at the moment in the present time hmm. um because of social distancing etc so i'm working with children and and um staff just inside the nursery so no outside services no job Okay, well, I'm very sorry to hear that. I hope uh, it works out for you uh, in this new position, I suppose, this new assignment. Uh, what what actually got you into this line of work? Uh, those of us who know you from your work in Huggy Bear uh, know you as a incendiary punk rocker. We don't think of children in nurseries necessarily, although the name Huggy Bear, that's eh, kind of cute. That's nice. I can see children liking that. How did you get into working with children in, in, in this capacity? I never wanted. I never wanted to have 
straight a straight life job. Uh, I'd already worked in in the city and had to wear a suit, and I'd been a bike courier and I'd been a hairdresser, and I wanted to do something that just felt like I was alive and at work at the same time. And I thought, why not kids? Try kids, see how that works out. I didn't have kids at that point, um, and I didn't even know if I particularly liked them that much. But I figured being able to do... <laughs> well, no, I'm just being honest. I, I wasn't sure. I, I was 20 when I started working with kids. And uh, I just figured that if I could do art with them and uh, sports and teach them like skateboarding and BMX bike riding, it would be like being myself, but that would be my job, like kind of teaching it onto kids. So it, it seemed like a, a good thing to start to try. Now, you, I, I uh, currently own two children. Uh, they're nine and five, <laughs> you, nine and five years old. How many? You have three, three children. Is that right? No, I just have one. Oh, you have one. Sorry, I thought Somet- you had three. Yeah, no. Sometimes <laughs> it feels like three, but she's just one, one, one teenager. <laughs> so I have found in my experience that the uh, children uh, teach me a lot about myself. Uh, weirdly, like I, I, I learn things about myself that I was not expecting. Uh, has that been the case for you? Have you learned things about yourself? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, when when I first started working with kids, it was just a just to try another strand of yeah. what could I do with my life, what would make sense, what, what wouldn't suck. Um, and then working with kids, you, you forget yourself, so you learn you learn to be less selfish, and then you learn to be more responsible and more giving, and you listen more. You know, children children are everyone's most precious precious things i was going to say commodities you know but we deal with families that are handing over like their most precious person to you to look after and to and to nurture you know while they're doing their jobs or while they're working and i'd never had that kind of responsibility given to me before so i i took it seriously and now i'm a parent i realize you know when you hand over your child into into daycare or into nursery into school you know, it's a it's a it's a big deal. So I had to kind of grow grow into that that job to prove that you know I was I was a good person to do it. And men don't do it as well. I should add, you know, like men in childcare. I don't know about in America, but in in the UK, men in childcare is kind of a weird. I was going to say niche, but not even niche. It's just a a strange a strange job to have. Yeah, people kind of look at it, look look upon it quite suspiciously. Yeah, here in Canada, you do. We have a mix of. Of, of men and women doing it, but you're probably right. It's predominantly women for some reason. It's just a, a stigma or something uh, or selfishness. Men are just men can be selfish. Men men don't give. Yeah, as I think much. it's like three 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 percent. I think. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's fine. I think it's like three percent of the total um, nursery and childcare population is male. Three percent. It's very small. Well, one of the things I've also I grew up a something of a punk. Uh, and I grew up, uh, you know, th- sort of immersed in counterculture. And I find my children, at least, they're, they're, they're kind of like, they, they seem sort of to exemplify those attitudes. They're open to things on some level, but they're also very much, they draw the line. <laughs> you know, they, they will resist authority. And I now I'm the authority, which is a real mind fuck for me. Like, I was like, always like, ah, push against authority. But now I'm like, don't do that. Why are you doing that? So I do. Yeah, do you, it, happens. <laughs> it happens. Do you see a relationship between, uh, you know, your, your, the, your child and the children you're raising and sort of what got you into punk, if that makes any sense like that? Do you see a connection between the two? I'm trying to think I can remember when I when I got into punk, 
I can remember sitting at the kitchen table with my dad and telling him that I bought the Slits cut album, which was the first punk album that I ever bought. And he was telling me, in a year's time, you're going to regret this. You're going to think it's the most ridiculous music. It's all a fad and it's all a fashion. And I didn't believe him even then. And I still love that record even now. And I see sometimes when I play music, music to my daughter, she's, uh, Dad, this is ridiculous. You know, why would you like this? It sounds so old fashioned. So, you know, it, it cycles. Everyone's going to re- reject the thing that came before or think that the new thing is a fad. And uh, that, you should be rejected by your kids anyway. <laughs> having, those argue- having those arguments and those discussions as much as as much as they might be hurtful at the beginning, they're kind of fun. I'm a little bit like that with video games and my son. There's a huge explosion in video game culture and there's all sorts of different kinds. It's not just like when I was younger... You had your gaming console, and you might play like a sports game, or you know it was Donkey Kong and all these fantastic. But like now, it's just this whole other thing. And I don't know if you're familiar with like Minecraft and all these things, but my son is into that, and I'm kind of like that with him because I don't relate to it as much because I was never super into video games. Was your father into music when he was telling you? Like, did he come from a place of authority about music when he said, "Ah, the Slits"? No, 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 no. You need to check out Ornette <laughs> Coleman or something. Was he kind of like that? No, oh God, that that would have been cool if my dad was into all that Coleman. But, uh, my, see, my dad used to have, a, he had an eight track in his car and he, he was uh, he was really into the Carpenters and um, and ABBA and Burt Bacharach, Dionne Warwick. And there was, it was all stuff that I pretended I didn't like, but I could see the kind of, the songs were like super catchy and they were kind of cool. So we'd kind of argue about music and I'd be like, oh, your taste is so old fashioned, but secretly I liked it. And then, of course, when you're in your your late twenties or something, and you're over that thing of trying to be impressive and cool and have like the best taste, you realise like Dionne Warwick and Burt Bacharach is like, the, you know, the top of the the top of the summit. It's, even when I was into like kind of the most noisy punk rock, Dionne, Dionne Warwick and the Carpenters are like super good. Even if it is a hip thing to say you like that stuff, I mean, it's genuinely great. Yeah, no, it is good. And you, you, as we get older, we kind of appreciate our. Not only of our parents' music, but our parents' generation of interest, don't we? I don't know. I I feel like it's as they're getting older and we're getting older, You ideally, you develop more of a sentimental connection with them uh, and you try to relate to them more because you're kind of turning into them. Does that make any sense? You're kind of aging into that uh, uh, mindset a little? I, I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen my, my, my mom and my dad broke up like 30 35 years ago oh okay so i've only seen my i've only seen my dad in that time like three or four three or four times oh i see and we're and i don't think we're overly similar in a lot of ways but um i'm definitely sentimental about kind of looking back and and thinking about my relationship with my my dad i see my mom more so right okay now uh for those who are listening and and know of you uh they would know that you were in a band called huggy bear as i mentioned earlier and what year did that band sort of cease functioning? It was a pretty short blast, right? Yeah, so um, you, maybe you know more than me. I think it was from like 93 to 97. Yeah, right. And S- Something like that. Yeah. So you, you were around for a few years, and then the band stopped. Why did the band stop when it stopped, if you can reflect upon it, first of all? Okay, so... I don't know how many people even know this story. We was only ever we were only ever going to be a band for three years. We from day one we knew that we were only going to be a band for three years. It, it whatever happened, whatever no one liked us, 
whether everybody liked us, whether anyone dropped out, came in, we would be together for three years. That way we would fulfill all the things that we thought bands should do. We wouldn't waste any time. We would take every opportunity that was given. And um, yeah, so even to, to the actual day that we said that, that was when we played our last show, give or take a day. Three years, what, what, how did you arrive at that figure? Because that's that's because three years is is kind of the best time for bands to do all the things that they should do properly and not suck. <laughs> what is the precedent for a three year band existence? Like what what were you looking at there? What? Who 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 exemplifies the three year arc of brilliance and then fade away? Who who is there somebody? Well, the slit the slits was were really only together at the beginning for three years before they kind of dissipated. And they kind of, you know, they came back a few times, but they were perfect in that three-year encapsulation, to my to my way of thinking. And the pop group, same kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, now you're putting me on the spot. I can't think of. It. I'm sure. Nation, well, no, I just. I'm sure, I'm sure. Nation of Ulysses was only like three years as well. Yeah, and that was Nation of Ulysses was, and still are seemingly based on at least one of the songs on. Uh, uh, this a brilliant adult life record. Nation of Ulysses looms large for you, and and was hugely impactful. You, Huggy Bear, kind of formed after seeing Nation of Ulysses. Is that right? I think. Um, well, say we did. We 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 we, we, <laughs> we was we we had the germ or the idea of a band. We were we were kind of the kids that went to shows and would see whatever kind of like punk rock and hardcore bands and like kind of weird American and European bands were playing. Um, and I don't think we were ready for Nation of Ulysses in as much as we kind of thought it would be a fun night out and we were just like jaws on the floor dancing, just like this is this is just the best. This is just the best of the best. So if we're going to do a band, this is our line in the sand. It has to be at least as good as this. And, you know, whether we ever were or, or not to anyone, you know, that was our that was our kind of scorch mark. Right. Well, I mean... Unfortunately, I've seen Ian Sfinonius perform in various capacities, but I never got to see The Nation of Ulysses, uh, a bit ahead of my time, I suppose, here in Canada. Maybe I don't even, they must have played up here at some point. What had you seen before that that came close? Because the one thing that'll happen is if you see a band that blows your mind, it is at least relationally compared, you know, it's sort of compared to other things you've seen. Like, no, 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 that. The Nation of Ulysses, that is the benchmark. We saw other stuff. Had you seen anything close? Anything in that punk or hardcore milieu where you're like, yeah, that's good, but the, oh my God, this. <laughs> Was uh, there a- Vish, I'm really old. My memory isn't... <laughs> <laughs> I, you, know the, you know the bands that the bands that I love? The bands that I loved around that, like when I was younger than that, like I really loved the Gang of Four mm-hmm. and, I really, and I really loved the pop group. I really loved the Slits. You know the band that I loved I loved the most when I was in my kind of early twenties, mid twenties. I really loved DAF, that German band. Yeah. Um, they 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 was one of the most exciting things. Maybe, maybe in a kind of a weird homoerotic nation of Ulysses, everyone looks cool. DAF were the band to me to my way of thinking that looked the coolest before that, for for completely maybe different reasons. But I can remember watching them when I was like I don't know 20 was I 19 20 maybe younger and just thinking no other band looks like this and sounds this this kind of lopsided and awesome and like not rock 
Whereas Nation of Ulysses was, was rock music in as much as it was guitars and drums, but they kind of exploded the concepts of what that was because, you know, they played loud and it wasn't based on regular song structures. But DAF was just electronic and I'd never heard electronic music that was like sexy and aggressive before. Hmm. Sorry, okay. that was a mem- memory lane moment for me then. No, no, I appreciate <laughs> that these are, uh, this is going to be something of a memory jog, and I don't want to put you on the spot too much. Please uh, accept my apologies and forgiveness uh, if you feel like you're, you're not quite capturing what it was like for you 30, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, don't feel yeah, bad no. about that. No, it's yeah, fine. So, so if, if the dates are wrong and anyone's checking, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, this all this whole episode will be broken down on Wikipedia as soon as we're done, I'm sure. I th- I'm sure that will happen. Someone will correct us. Uh, in terms of your, your... Well, first of all, what was your role in Huggy Bear? What did you do in that band exactly? Well, to begin with, I, I, wrote, I wrote the songs, the lyrics. I wrote the lyrics with Nicky. John and Joe came up with the guitar and bass parts. We later got Karen, Karen Hill, God bless her, to... Um, practice drums in John and Joe's front room on old telephone directories and sticks because we didn't have a drum kit. So um, I would sing with Nikki. We would trade off lines together. Um, that's uh, So singer, stroke, songwriter sounds a bit ridiculous, but that's kind of what I was. <laughs> well, your approach to singing and uh, your approach to the songwriting is very unique. Uh, do you have a sense of where it came from, this sort of abstract, blunt, uh, you know, almost jarring way of conveying, you know, stark language that is very impactful. It's it's very unique. Do you have a sense of where that comes from within you? Mm. I, could, I mean, if I'm being honest, I've got to pay homage to like writers that I've, I've liked. And totally. That have, yeah. And pe- people that have sent me good letters that have stuck in my head, fanzines that I've read. But uh I never really thought about it too much. I like I've always liked to write and people seem to like the things that I write and will kind of give me props for stuff that comes out good. And when you sing it, I, I, it's a bit of an abstract way to describe it. But if I have an idea for a song, I always see it as like a kind of a woodcut or a vinyl, a vinyl carving. I see an image of something, a person or a thing or something happening. And then I extrapolate what I think happens around that and I'll give it some kind of socio-political kind of context and I like things that are half dumb and half smart so I like to explain it in a kind of political sense but then have kind of stupid stuff so I can enjoy it when I'm singing yeah yeah I mean you, you that no that's that's that it sounded abstract but no that's a that was a clear answer I, I appreciate that I mean you you obviously you talked about Huggy Bear having this purposeful intent like you knew it was only going to be around for three years you weren't going to waste any time and you have made choices I think as a songwriter that kind of reflect that as well like you could sing about anything but you have a a tendency to say something substantive and I think that's that's fascinating itself I just wonder if you know that sort of sense of this has to mean something if that comes from if that was instilled with you by the nation of ulysses by by the riot girl movement by other political movements like your your ten your pension for the political fascinates me and but you've also done something where you're political and poetic it never comes across as sort of dogmatic if that makes sense it's always very kind of compelling and vivid storytelling that balance between political and art i mean 
Is it complicated for you, or do you, I, I get the impression you don't think about it too much, as you say, it just sort of comes out of you, but is that a complicated thing to balance, to be, I got to say something here, but I also want it to be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't ever care about it sounding cool, I don't think. Uh I like something. I like I, you know what I like things that are grounded in a reality that I understand. So that kids that I know, or my friends, talk like that, or have had things happen like that. And maybe when we're talking to each other, or we're explaining things, or if I'm sitting thinking about stuff afterwards, I can give it that kind of uh, concentric rings of like a political dimension or a critique of what it what it is. You know, so a kid getting stopped by you know the police is an incident but then you can extrapolate and have like the language that you think that kid or the cop would use yeah and you could have what that means in a larger picture so that's kind of how i build stuff up if i'm being thoughtful but sometimes it's not even thoughtful like that it's just it's just random stuff that kind of when i string it together i realize what it is afterwards but every day's Every day's political. Do you have a methodology to that? Do you engage in free writing or anything like that? Or is it just like, oh, we got to write a song here, so I'm going to sit down and do it? Or do you do you have writing exercises? I never, ever think that. I never, ever think I've got to write a song. Occasionally, if I'm emailing John, I'll have a line in the email where he says, oh, you have to use that line in a song. And I always do it because I feel that's my, my, duty, <laughs> my duty to my bandmate to put that that line that he liked in the email into a song yeah uh, yeah okay i don't know what was the question <laughs> well no just the question is do you, not the- do you do you engage in any you mentioned that like when i asked about sort of songwriting you mentioned you wanted to tip your hat at at letters you've received or fanzines writing you know prose writing mm. uh not necessarily you didn't mention like leonard cohen <laughs> or, or 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 you know songwriters you mentioned writing so it sounds like you have a love of language. So my question was basically like, if you're a guy who loves language and absorbs it and processes uh, language everywhere, and, and then that somehow informs your music and your songwriting, I just wonder if you, like, like you say, John saw, sees a line in one of your emails, and it might not have occurred to you to turn it into a song, but he says, hey, that's that's something. You got something, Chris. And then you're like, okay. I'm going to write a song. So I guess I... As that's I just, yeah, that's just my ego being flattered. So like if I know somebody likes even one line, I'll, I'll try and thread that into something. Okay. But there are writers there are writers that I like. And I, I, you know, if you're asking me who I like, they're not influences, but there's people that I like who I can name. They're not hidden. They're not hidden totems or anything. Sure, do it. I'm just curious. I, I just as a fan of yours and your, and your, and your approach to songwriting, I, I'm just curious if you can talk about people that you like. Sure. Well, I I always like I always like Royal Trucks. Royal Trucks is songwriting. Mm-hmm. Whether I understood it or not, I like the, I like the I like the weight of the words, and I like the way they look. I have a I have a bit of a synesthesia thing in my head that certain words taste like something. Oh, and certain phrases in, inside me kind of have like a kind of a smell or a something, so I can't get rid of it. Um, but Royal Trucks. Uh, Obviously, like the fall, Marquis Smith. Um, I always liked that writer, Dennis Cooper, but I don't think I take anything from him. I just mm. kind of thought it was brave writing. Kathy Acker, hugely. Uh, like people like Olivia Lang now. Um, 
I can't think of what other people I like. <laughs> well, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, I'm just curious. I, I like uh, if I if I if I think of some more, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, just just yell them at me as I'm uh, midstream here for sure. So I sound like an LCD sound system. <laughs> <laughs> just random shoutouts. Yeah, absolutely. So 97, Huggy Bear wraps up in 97. The narrative around you, Chris, is that that band stops and you seem to disappear from sort of public life is that accurate were you were you making music yes no that's completely accurate like i i didn't want to be in a band anymore i'd had enough of it i i i i'd met somebody in america that i i kind of wanted to be with and i didn't want to think about music because being in a band kind of sucks for letting you enjoy music to a certain extent because whether you want whether you want to or not you become like a bit competitive and jealous and beat beat down by the day-to-dayness of it and I just wanted to get back to like liking records and making mixtapes and going out dancing and not not people wanting to talk about what your band were doing or not doing I just wanted to kind of like just enjoy life again and the end of Huggy Bear wasn't enjoying life particularly oh I see even though you knew it was preordained you would be done in three years was, yeah, I was looking forward. I was looking forward to the end of it. I'll be honest. <laughs> what was going on contextually in 1997? If we can go back to that time, I think of that time as a weird time. Uh, there was a kind of underground music explosion. A lot of it had been commodified, uh, and on some level, that was horrible. On other levels, bands that had been kind of, uh, you know, grinding it out for years finally got some recognition. But at the same time. It felt a little hollow. It was just a weird time. Was it the music industry that got you down, or was it the actual act of, of you know, being in a band, being a being a performer, being a? Because I know you also tended to. My understanding, anyway, is that you tended to shy away from any kind of elevation of your personality. You were in a band. You didn't do a lot of press, right? Like you didn't try to make it about. We 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 only ever did. We only would um, give interviews to fanzines. Yeah, and occasional occasional radio shows and things like that. Right, so that speaks, I think, to really you know hardline decision making, and also is a reflection of maybe what was going on that you found kind of gross about music industry industry stuff. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think I didn't even think about it that much, but I think um, I'll, I'll name check like Toby and Toby from Bikini Kill and. And Slim Moon at Kill Rock Stars, they were they were good people to kind of uh, not school you and you know I I would read and I'd listen to what they said and it made complete sense. But I, we went Huggy Bear. I didn't ever. It's weird. I never even thought of us as being in the, the music industry anyway. I always thought we were kind of like a bit of an art project that got out of control. Obviously, you become carried along in the, the slipstream of what the music industry is, but. I, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the music industry at all, so I didn't consider myself to be part of it. So I didn't consider myself to be not in it when we stopped, if that makes sense. It does. Uh, as a writer, though, as a creative person, to stop cold turkey mm. uh, in 1997, uh, how did that work? I said I, the way I framed your vanishing act, if you will, was that you know publicly we didn't hear from you privately personally were you writing were you engaging with music on a some level as a as an artist yourself no 
No, sit. You just turn, uh, turn it off. Uh, turn it off like a faucet. I didn't. I didn't feel like I had anything else to write about at that time at all. Like zero. Like I thought all the things that I would have wanted to write about uh, during during Huggy Bear, I'd written about. Anything else would have just been rehashes of stuff that we lived or done because all we were doing was was recording and um, touring and thinking about what we had to do next all the time. And after a while, you're just writing about that insular bubble that you're in. It, we weren't living particularly well. And I see. I could I could expand on that a little bit and say that Huggy Bearers people were we were like um. Amish people or something we didn't re- we didn't really kind of talk to people outside of this weird social circuit of people we knew or liked we didn't mix very well and everything was to do with what we could do for the band so we kind of you know that phrase burning the candle at both ends I think because we only had three years we we burnt the candle in the middle as well mm. okay you lived you lived kind of hard is basically what yeah. you're saying it was a hot it was hard did you tour rather relentlessly? Like, would you have played Canada at that time? We did. We did play Canada. We had to kind of. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say. Well, we kind of we played Canada and we hit <laughs> we hid under some blankets. What we had, we, we hid under some blankets to come into Canada a, a long time ago. Whose blank Whose blankets were they? The, the blankets in a car that we somebody was driving us. Oh my God! Why did you have it, to do it, that? You didn't have your I've, papers. You didn't have your stuff. I've, I'm not, I'm not sure if we did. <laughs> long, time, long time, long time ago. Don't blame oh, us. Oh wow! Well, that was a different we, I time. Think, I think we played like two or three shows there. Okay, okay. So you and you would you say you toured hard as a band? Well, when we toured America, we did because we played we played nonstop for like six weeks. The first mm. tour, like six and a half weeks, and we played shows nearly every day. So we'd only ever get like a day off every four or five days. That's quite so a lot of you, shows, right? So you've said that, you know, by, by the end of Huggy Bear, you felt like you had nothing to say. Did you miss perform, or rather, are you, do you like performing? Do you like the act of being a, a lead singer and singing and performing for an audience? Um, I do now. Uh, now now that the, we can't do it, now that no one can actually do it, you're... <laughs> <laughs> no, but... No, but. Uh, if you had if you had have asked me for like twenty five years, I would have said that you know I never really wanted to be in a band again. I started to like music a lot more, and uh, there were certain bands that kind of made me think, oh, that's that looks like fun. But it was only when when me and John started to talk about doing this that I kind of thought, yeah, that would be kind of fun to do again. And we and I actually wanted to do it rather than just daydreamed it or half imagined it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, in, 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 in Huggy Bear, like, I, I liked it some of the time, but a lot of those shows, a lot of those shows and a lot of, um, they weren't about playing shows. They were about meeting people in the audience and having people get up on stage and read out their fanzine or their poem or talk about injustices, injustices that they'd been facing or, you know, they were social community things or they were us fighting a load of like beard up boys who wanted to kind of throw cans at us and fight so a lot of the time it wasn't about god i really want to sing this song it was like how do we get out of this and kind of like in one piece and you know these kids that have kind of camped out overnight to watch us how do they get their voice heard so it was it was kind of i'm not going to say a war zone we weren't at war but it was it was difficult Hmm. before we get into adult life uh, I just want to ask you about I, this is a weird term to use because you seem very modest but 
I've noticed that bands of your of Huggy Bear's vintage have had kind of renaissance, so to speak. Like that, people begin to rediscover things. Um, yeah, and, and and so then that leads to kind of in some cases it's led to band reunions. It's led to reissues. Your album Weaponry Listens to Love, the Huggy Bear record, is in some circles considered a real classic. Are you aware of any inkling of interest in like have in the time that you were gone before adult life? Did you ever hear rumblings like you know, Chris? Like people keep downloading or ordering this record. What's going on? Like, did you? No, no, I wouldn't know anything like that at all. No, okay. Uh, No, no, no no sense that the band, the band's uh, influence or or importance was kind of being (laughs) rediscovered. Honestly, no. That's fascinating. Uh, well, I can tell you one good story. Uh, well, I think it's good. Um, so just as just as adult life were beginning to write songs and rehearse, um, this guy got in touch with me from California and reached out. And he's he's a like a museum curator, and he does stuff like a little bit like you, Vish, to an extent, I guess. Yeah. He does like voice voice archiving and stuff. So he just reached out. I never get letters at work for one thing, and I got this package. And he explained that uh, Weaponry Listens to Love was like his all time favorite record, and he had all these personal reasons for why it was important, which I won't go into. But that was the first time I'd even kind of like thought that you know that it had a life outside of itself and that's what bands music does but that was a cool thing to hear so then we met up and now we're like you know we're really really good friends oh nice even though he, he even though he lives in california and chances of me ever getting to see him is till 2030 is probably rare so you you disengaged from music making what of the other members of huggy bear what what did they do do they still uh, you know make music those sorts of things uh joe does uh, Joe makes Joe makes the electronic music um, with a partner. They have a like, they have a kind of a record label within their household, and they do like kind of electronic music. I went to see her play. I hadn't seen her for twenty years, mm. and I went to see her play a little kind of a analog synthesizer thing at Cafe Oto in London uh, a year and a half ago, two years okay. ago. And that was that, that. That was really that was really good. That was a, yeah, a nice way to see her again after a long time, and what she was doing, you know, for her was perfect. It was beautiful. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, so John John Slade, who was in Huggy Bear at the beginning for the first year and a half, was in tons of bands. He was in I'm Being Good, who were a Brighton Brighton kind of noise noise punk guitar kind of thing. Um, and then he's, he's been in Comet Gain on and off for a few years, but I don't think he is anymore. And he has a band called Snoozers, who we played with earlier this year in London. Okay. Um, who, who are really good. Nikki, I don't know. I haven't seen Nikki for a long time. She has a little boy, a teenager now. And Karen has two or three children and doesn't do music. Okay. So Huggy Bear is firmly in the rear view for everyone. It's not uh, something you have... It's not an active discussion topic or anything like that in terms of what are we going to do with our music from the past are we going to put it out is that kind of like everything's kind of everything you made and did we've kind of consumed or is there stuff that didn't come out uh from that era that might someday uh no there's nothing that there's no, everything that we did came out uh, <laughs> you're very very efficient very efficient band it seems like well we, we wasn't because we don't we don't have any we don't i don't know who owns our music i don't know who looks after it right. it's definitely not me okay and I know when I talk to Joe, 
and she was saying that it would be you know people do ask us all the time don't you want to put everything out and have it available and part of me thinks it would be nice to have it not lost and part of me doesn't care well you have to have both to function i know i'm the worst businessman ever no i think you need that you need separation and engagement at the same time in the same breath you have to balance that otherwise it's you're just you're thinking about the past too much i would think and that's not yeah you know you know what it is like like you said sometimes um when people come up to you at a show and they talk about how important it was or you know don't you want to have your music out so people can can find it now i can see why it would be good but i also kind of think the whole business prospect of that just sounds horrendous yeah okay that's fair enough so when did adult life this new band of yours when did it kind of start exactly um when did adult life start i'm Uh, trying to think a year year and a half ago about a year and a half yeah maybe not even as long ago as a year and a half you're conferring with your you're conferring with your bandmate john who's in the room oh sorry yeah he's in the room he's he's being technical and looking at his watch. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we? Are, are we? Are, no, John, no, are we no. Okay? I'm, joking. I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> sorry to keep John uh, too late here, but we'll uh, we'll try to be expedient and efficient and all this. We'll just try to be like Huggy Bear. Uh, this interview is only no, going to no, last three years. Just tell him that we'll be done in three years. Uh, there's a cap. I'm not going to tell him. I'll, I'll just I'll just smile. Okay. So sorry. Did you say a year and a half ago? Is that what you said? So 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 I think not even that long. So we we talked about it um, and then very quickly we decided that we were going to rehearse um john asked sonny who works in who worked in the rough trade rough trade if he would like to drum because we knew he loved drumming and he was young and we could kind of like boss him around um (laughs) and so for the first the first the first part of adult life rehearsals we rehearsed in this really sketchy warehouse place with paper walls that smelt and uh we were just a free piece and then after we played our first live show as a free piece we kind of talked about having a bass a bass in it too to kind of enrich the sound and we knew somebody that we would like to ask so it it all slotted together quite nicely okay so since 1997 you haven't felt compelled to be in a band you get along with some friends i believe in england you'd call them blokes i'm sorry did i use that term wrong i don't know no, it, it is a term. It's I a don't term. know. I don't use. I don't use that. I don't use that term or Chums. describe anybody I know as blokes. What's a folksy um, way of saying friends <laughs> in in English slang? I think it's what is it? It's blokes. No, that's not mate, right. Mate, mates, mates, of course. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? I'm sorry. So you, you, you fellas, you, fellas, you, you come you, you come into some people and you realize you have some affinity for each other on a social level. But what is going on to spur your mind? your songwriting mind out of retirement exactly chris is it the context of the time is it brexit is it you know the rise of fascism what is going on am i reading too much into it uh no no because it is it that's vish that's kind of a true thing that you just said i hadn't thought of i hadn't thought of writing for a long time and then i knew i wanted to be in a band with john for fun just because I love the way that he plays and I'd seen him in his other bands and I thought it would be fun and because I love him so much as a person I thought just doing that would be good yeah however working working in for the charity that I work for and living in the area of London that I live in all of that stuff Brexit and the rise of rise of anti kind of 
anti anti every you know like there's so much kind of like you know anti-immigration anti-migrants brexit would be a great thing for everybody supposedly yeah. and we live we live in an area that my charity is about outreach and it's about welcoming all these people that all of a sudden were getting like horrible press and i even saw people who on a conversational level that i would i would think i liked who would suddenly let slip you know but yeah, these people are okay, but not these. You know, just like insidious small comments. We were like, well, that's the beginnings of where everything goes wrong again. If you're deciding that this set of migrants are okay because their skin mm-hmm. is lighter or they're not from so far away, that's okay, apparently. And then, but these other ones from further away who've come from a war zone, no, that's not so good because how can they get jobs? They don't speak the language. Uh, so, yeah, no, there was lots of things. And the you know you just pick up stuff and all of a sudden i was getting those images in my head again of of stuff that was kind of you know i don't want to swear on your on your you can swear you can you can curse okay yeah well yeah things that were things that were bad and needed need i don't know i just felt to write again and if i was if i was going to be in a band it wasn't just going to be singing about you know anything if it wasn't something so all all those things in my head that were issues or stuff that I thought about a lot and would give me headaches became adult life songs. Well, a lot of them were anyway. Well, not all of them. Not not all of them. Well, I I have some perspective on the rise of of the stuff we're talking about, the xenophobia, just basically anti progress, anti change, uh, socio cultural, you know, fear and hate. Like I get where that's coming from a little bit here. Uh, mm. Do you have a perspective on why this is occurring where you live? Uh, and and what, like, just as a citizen, as someone who lives there, why are people, this scapegoat culture, this fear-mongering that goes on by politicians and by their acolytes, do you have a sense of where that's coming from in an era of relative prosperity? Like, what is going on exactly from your perspective? Well, well, like you said there's always there's always that scapegoat culture that somebody's going to come in and do the work do the do the jobs that other people supposedly you know they're taking away food out of other people's mouths i think that's the bottom line that people always fear that the next migrant cast that come in are going to be taking food or money jobs away and um you know east london in the last you know i've lived in east london for like 30 30 plus years and you know it becomes gentrified in that kind of concentric ring circle every area that you think won't become kind of you know have its coffee bars and its you know salons and cheese shops you know that kind of like brooklyn effect without being horrible to brooklyn (laughs) sorry brooklyn (laughs) you know but that's that's happened in areas where you know i've lived and worked where you know it is a poverty, you know, poverty-stricken areas with some of the highest poverty in all of England, and all of a sudden you've got houses that cost a million pounds next to estates where, you know, people can't pay their bills. And I think when you introduce in, introduce things that cost a lot of money with things that are kind of like dirt cheap, and when you have like kind of housing for migrants which is cheap, and you flood you you flood an area, you just cause suspicion. Politicians stoke that suspicion for you know for votes and everyone likes to live somewhere safe at the end of the day and it's so easy to kind of like introduce introduce elements of fear yeah 
Well, the and they're not. It's not. It's, you know, it's not based. It's not based on anything real. No, it's all kind of fabricated and designed to question and suspect anything that's different than you, anything or anyone. The other, the, the other, the, the other. It's the, always the, the other, other is kind of yeah. the academic term uh, that I grew up. Like I, when I went to university twenty years ago, that was the big thing: the other, othering, and that is occurring. Mm. Uh, it is weird. Everything that. Everything that we were, I was taught anyway to anticipate is kind of coming to pass. Like it's all very, you know, immoral and 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 isolationist, and it is the opposite of punk. It is the actual opposite of everything I love uh, about absorbing culture. Like just being open to people and open to ideas. That is that seems to be <laughs> the, the political stance that is on the rise. Just being opposed to ideas because people new people mm. coming into your life are going to fill you with new ideas and there for some reason the, a cohort has emerged of people who say we don't want new ideas we want the old ideas and they don't really mesh with a way that we can all live collectively and i feel like those strains are on your record i feel like there's there's a song called new curfew and i thought it seemed mm. eerily Prescient, uh, yeah. Prescient. It seemed like there, there's yeah. kids wearing masks, and 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 here we are, and then it's sort of like, is any? Is, I don't know when these songs were written in relation to the pandemic or or this social unrest we're talking about, this political unrest and and the 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 fighting. But uh, I assume most of this was written before the pandemic. Yes. Yeah that 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 song that song was written like uh, last November October. So there was no sign then of of anything like like the horror show we've got going on now yeah. happening. Unfortunately. So what? So but did you? So do you? You use the word pressure. I didn't even have to. Do you feel like when you think back on some of these songs, do they feel eerie? There's a, there's a yeah. There's a few. There's a few things on there where where we, I, I'd have to think about it like a bit harder than I'm doing at the moment. But with new curfew. It was it was to do with I don't know it's to do with gay pride and it's to do with like you know Black Lives Matter it, it but it's to do with my daughter and her friends being a lot more switched on and politically engaged than we probably were as kids and they talk about going you know and especially with um you know the climate change protests as well the you know my daughter and her friends are so kind of like aware of that stuff and aware of where the the oppression and stamping down kids ideas and nullifying them by saying you know they haven't got life experience yet how do they know we have facts and figures that they're not privy to and you know it's it's shouting down in kids faces and i just thought that that was so wrong and i thought it's only going to be a matter of time before you know my daughter's out protesting quite righteously for things that she believes in which will be for her future and at the same time you see like the kind of you know the forces of police and control and government and you think how safe is your your kid but you wouldn't want them to not do it so i it's it's conflating i don't know the riots from the riots from east london a few years ago some of the imagery that stuck in my head my daughter going out to kind of make a point and just as an older person you'll you'll understand that too you know you're you're meant to look for for police and and forces of law as being that forces of law and yet you see them as being like kind of quite murderous especially in those situations where they're tense and you figure you're sending your kids out into like a murderous climate 
that's that song in essence well and i think there was a nod to dizzy rascal in there as well yeah 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 (laughs) sure yeah and and there's also like i hear the tension between authority and and i guess i mean there seems to be protest within the record when i think of a song like county pride there's these lines you wanted muscles give me some manners and i couldn't help but think of a protest scene the kind of optics of muscle, of power and strength versus we just want civility and common sense and morality and to be treated fairly uh, as people. There's some. That's a good. That's a good take. That's a good take. It wasn't. I'd never even thought of that. That line was meant to be kind of like um, that line's meant to be a weird kind of seduction hmm. as a as a as a means to escape. I kind of thought of two people that were. Um, not really meant to be together but could have been their own escape nugget you know they could have kind of like got away from something which was a lot worse than either of them could do to each other yeah doesn't that feel relevant doesn't that feel very contemporary to everything that's sort of emerged since you probably wrote these songs like I'm just saying are you a witch are you a wizard why do you <laughs> why did you know everything that was going to happen I don't know anything. (laughs) There is something to this. I know I'm joking around, but there's something to... I keep coming across this as things that were produced and made prior to the pandemic are coming out. It's probably psychological on my part. I'm reading into things and maybe things that seem prescient were just happenstance. But I do think that artists like yourself, when you're thinking about things and, and, you know, sensitively trying to write about them, you're tapped into something. You're tapped into something real that maybe leads to some foreshadowing, maybe leads to some anticipation of the way things are going to go. Again, you're way too modest to accept this as a compliment, I'm sure, but do you have a sense of that? Like, have you written things where you're like, whoa, okay, I was just expressing myself. I didn't think this was going to be the way all of society was going to behave. I was just expressing something that I had a feeling about. Do you feel tapped in that way? Unfortunately, unfortunately, I yeah, I, I'm not I'm I'm not good at relaxing very much. I don't relax, and I'm I'm not somebody that can just go with the flow. Or I watch too much news. I'm awake too much of the time. I'm a parent, yeah, and I work for a charity. So you're you're just surrounded by things going wrong, or on the verge of going wrong all the time. But you want it to be the other way. So. It's, okay so this is to answer your question I always feel like in writing something or believing in it hard enough you alter the course of what you think it might be at its worst yeah I used to do that with people that I like fancied at school like if I thought I wrote about them enough then they would like me (laughs) interesting (laughs) well no because sometimes it would work you know like that magical thinking we have that line in one of the songs I get accused I, I get accused by my partner that you know my magical thinking is is you know like an erroneous thing you know it's ridiculous but i I always believe in magical thinking whether it's making a band happen or whether it's kind of changing someone's mind or making somebody fancy you i think that's i think that, <laughs> i don't think it makes me a witch or a wizard but i think it, <laughs> i think i think there's a lot to be said about thinking something so hard and wishing for it that you make it real what is the the bad brains thing positive mental attitude right yeah exactly yeah that's probably what it is a little bit. Before we wrap up, we, we began in the early stages of this conversation in year one or two of this three-year conversation. We talked about the Nation of Ulysses. You do have a song here called Stevie K. What is the relationship between Stevie K and the Nation of Ulysses? Okay, so Steve, Stevie K is Steve Croner. 
if you're looking at a direct link who was guitarist in Nation of Ulysses. Mm-hmm. I hung out with him a, a couple of times uh, when we were on tour. And he was just somebody that, you know, to me, he was in this like most explosive, explosive band. And yet he was like the most humble, cool, genuine, gentle soul. And he could just like kind of walk away from stuff and never try and be in other bands or come back. So it's transposing that kind of being so cool that you don't care about being cool in anyone else's eyes. But also like that catcher in the rye thing that anyone who thinks they're kind of like modern or hip. And if you use old tropes, that's not modern or hip. So like the kind of most modern or hip thing would be something that really hurt, but would exist on the margins. That's that's in essence what Stevie K is somebody that's in pain I guess yeah I, I can't tell ha, if it's has, a, I, can't, I can't tell if it's a tribute or not it's sort of interesting it's every every adult life song will be a tribute to something and a contradiction and a damnation at the same time that's what this is not interesting okay I think I could be wrong no I think no, they no no you're right they, they, all, huh? they all have they all have a fault <laughs> they have a fault they have a fault line where there's something transcendent but there's something quite damning and quite badly wrong yeah at the end of this song there's a spoken word sort of interlude it's, it seems like a phone recording or a, of a poem or something what is how does that relate to the rest of the song well john asked me to do that john 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 wanted there to be something at the end which kind of signed signed the song off and i just thought of that it's kind of like a he wanted it to be more of an FU to somebody, but I didn't really see the song as needing like something that was that harsh, mm. but it was kind of like a lover's kiss off. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the response to that and, and to these, uh, this line of questioning. I know you don't do this very often. First of all, let me check in as we wrap up. Was this okay for you, Chris? I know you don't like talking very much. Are you okay? No, this is, um, yeah. I, yeah, I am okay. fine. <laughs> I like to check in. I just like to make sure because, particularly for people who don't do these 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 things very often, I appreciate it. So obviously, I've, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm shouting sometimes. I hope I'm not shouting too much. I'm not I'm not used to having headphones on. No, you're not. I, I'm sure it'll be. I'm sure it's fine. So <laughs> we are in a period of suspension. You have a new record. You have a new band. Relatively speaking, what do you do? What do you do in this moment uh, where you can't play live? Uh, obviously, you're doing press like this, but what else are you doing uh, to further the cause and word, spread the word <laughs> about adult life and this excellent new record? Oh, what are we doing? I don't know, because we love the we love the record. We love the record completely. So in a way, in a, in a selfish way, it, it doesn't really matter what happens to it on a personal level. But because um, Kev... At what's your rupture cares about it so much and it's his record label and he's invested so much in it and in us i want it to succeed for him mm-hmm. um i think sonny and kevin would say the same i know john thinks that like we did it and we love it and we don't want it to disappear but we understand that there's probably more important things going on in the world than a punk rock record however cool or happy we are with that record being made um hopefully it will be one of those things that kind of doesn't come out in a big hype cloud and people discover it maybe not overnight but by word of mouth and by folklore folklore and notes and letters and old-fashioned <laughs> things but 
it's just it's step one at the minute we can't play shows but maybe in three or four months we will be able to and then by that time we'll have more songs and there isn't a time limit on on adult life as such so we don't have to panic too much about the fact that the world's in a mess at the minute we can kind of take our time see what happens with this record that that we hope people get into i you know i really hope people that the people that like it and find it it means something more to them than just another record that would be the best thing I, I hope so. I hope so too. I, I will say the more I've listened to it, the more meaningful it's gotten for me. And I'm going to, once we're done, I'm going to order, uh, I believe there's a limited run of vinyl. Is that right? Um, yeah, there's, there's a white vinyl version, um, with a white sleeve. I don't know what kind of limited it is, but it okay. has the post, has the poster and the lyrics in it. And, uh, fanzine writer, Jamie, Jamie Johns done the little piece of writing, which is on the back and on the front. Um, yeah shout out to her okay okay i'm gonna order it once once we're done here if people want to learn more about adult life uh and and this record book of curses where i i don't know if you know this where would you send them on the internet where would i send them i mean what's your rupture is is the record label and they have like the 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 store where you can buy things from but if anyone ever wants to write to anyone ever wants to write to us we have we have a we have a we have an email email address where people can write to us i'd love it if people wrote to us you know like if people you know i would love to kind of collate the whole adult life family just from people that still like writing letters or making fanzines or sending well thought out emails i'm sure if people just want to tell us to you know get lost and stop wasting our time you know, if they want to, if they want to do that too, it's all on you. Very few people uh, <laughs> ask people to tell them off on the internet these days. So you're. Well, brave. I'd love it. I, I, you know, I'd love it if it was a well thought out telling off. If people really thought, for some reason, what we were saying was that bad, I would digest that and uh, and give it some thought. John's shaking his head and saying, "No, don't do that." John has to. John has to manage the email address. I'm sure that's probably why he's not happy about your suggestion there what do you want to give people? i I take i take it all i take it all back (laughs) do you want to give people the uh do you want to give people that email address Uh, of course Uh, what's that what's our email address uh (laughs) (laughs) this is this is this is why we're in a band this is the one just go, just go onto the Bandcamp page and it's on there. Okay. On if the you band- go onto adult, adult Life with a K, so A-D-U-L-K-T, Life, and it, on the Bandcamp page it has contact details okay. and everything. Okay, awesome. Now, Chris, if we can go out on a song from this album to play for people, mm. uh, can you pick one for us? And, and if so, uh, which one? Or rather, if so, why? Oh, I didn't know you was going to ask us this. Um can I ask John as well? I'll, I'll confer with John. If, if, yes, of if course. Vichy is going to play a song, and why, what song would we pick to play from the album? From our album. <laughs> John said, "From our album." He wants you to play something by uh, off the new Taylor Swift album. I think. I was thinking. I was thinking. Adult life. <laughs> more than. John. John wants us to play "When Love Breaks Down" by Prefab Sprout, which is. <laughs> no, I can't do it. I can't do that one. Uh, is there uh, anything else? Uh, is there uh, Junior Showtime? Maybe 
No, not junior showtime. Oh, you decide then. New curfew. Okay. Yeah, new curfew because you were talking about that one, and there's some backstory to it already. Okay, we'll play that, and uh, yeah, well, that's right. We already talked about it. All right, this is new curfew by Adult Life from their amazing new record, Book of Curses. Uh, Chris, this was really, really a pleasure. I appreciate you indulging me in this, uh, in these questions and in this time. I hope you enjoyed it, and best of luck with everything in the future. Hey, Vish, thank you. Blessings. Listen out for the drones Talk of everyone Pretending they got guns Synchronize your watches Listen out for the Drum, drum, drum Dum, dum, dum Drum, drum, drum Dum, dum, dum It's so hard When you're open by snakes Bite the hand that feeds down into paste It's so hard when you're so close to snakes Grab a gentle hand and crack it till it breaks Dum 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 Yeah. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Very thrilled and thankful to Chris Rowley for being on this, the 578th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available wherever you get your podcasts, whether you use Apple or Google or Spotify or, or other things as well. It's, it's on everything, really. But if you can't find an episode of the show that you've heard about and you're looking for it, uh, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my uh, monthly newsletter i'd say i'm hoping it'll be monthly i used to say regularly scheduled what the hell does that even mean you don't know the regular schedule i don't even know the regular there was no regular schedule it was semi-regular then i used to say semi-regularly scheduled newsletter now it's aiming for monthly we're gonna go with monthly monthly newsletter anyway if you need to do any of those things find old episodes learn more about me sign up for the monthly newsletter please visit my website vishkana.com you can also like creative control on Facebook, if it still exists uh, at the time that you're listening to this episode. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative or follow me directly at Vish Khanna. Twitter is probably still going to be around. Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. You have no idea. It's great. All the people who do this, who, who make a monthly flexible donation at patreon.com slash creative control. It's fantastic. Thank you for doing it. And again, if you if you donate $6 or more, you gain access to exclusive audio content. Uh, it's from my archive of interviews. Uh, most recently, as I'm speaking to you, most recently, I posted a very fun and strange 2010 conversation I had with the filmmaker Harmony Corinne, and that's up there. So if you, if you as I say, donate $6 or more, exclusive content, but whatever you can is fine by me. Again, patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to live at MasseyHall.com where you can watch uh, beautifully captured concerts uh, concerts by great Canadian artists. Also, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, my dear friend Jim Guthrie is a, a wonderful uh, young man who's older than, older than me, actually, but he's, he's still young at heart. Anyway, Jim's great. You can learn more about him and his music at JimGuthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Chris Rowley of Adult Life. And uh, hopefully you learned some things about Huggy Bear 2, both fantastic bands. The Adult Life album, Book of Curses, is really great. And it was fun. It was a nice thrill. And you don't know this, but Chris and I have now become kind of email pen pals. He emails me, and then I email him back, and then he emails me again. And that's just how email works. 
it's fun. It's a fun show to make. I like doing it. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll tell your friends to check it out and subscribe to it and all those sorts of things. And I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.